Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Rappin' with Reef Bum. I'm your host Keith Berkelhammer and today I have the pleasure of what of uh, welcoming Dr. Sanjay Yoshi. Sanjay is very well known in the hobby. He has published several articles and magazines such as Marine Fish and Reef Annual, Aquarium Frontiers, Aquarium Fish and Advanced Aquarist. In addition, he has been a speaker at several National Marine Aquarium Society meetings and local clubs. In real life, he has, uh, he's a professor of industrial and manufacturing engineering at Penn State University, where he has taught since 1987. He's actually been keeping reef tanks since the early 90s, and today he co-manages the 500-gallon uh, aquarium at Penn State. Has several reef tanks at home, including a 500-gallon tank, and um, he was kind enough to shoot some video of that tank, so we're going we're gonna to be talking about that in a little bit. But hey, Sanjay, man, thank you very much for being on the show. Welcome. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's yeah, be yeah. Fun. I haven't talked to you in a yeah, while. Yeah, I think the so. last time we uh, <laughs> we spoke was at probably the last uh, frag swap I was at, which was the Manhattan Reese, and I think it was November of right. uh, this past uh, last year, 2019. Right. Yeah. So yep. it's it's a shame that uh, these uh, yeah. these shows have been kind of put on the uh, the back burner. But geez, well, hopefully with the uh, talk about a vaccine, maybe. Maybe the summertime. I don't know. That could be a stretch, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see and keep the fingers crossed. But um, go ahead. Yeah. So basically, um, yep. I hope we'll be back to normal by summertime, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but well, who knows? I guess the bright side <laughs> is we all have more time to take care of our tanks. You know. <laughs> yeah, In some yeah, sense, yeah. yeah. Definitely. My tank is yeah, better right? in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, everybody, yep. thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And um, Sanjay and I are going to just have a conversation, and we'd love to get, you know, answer some of your questions. So feel free to, to, uh, to throw out some questions. Scotty uh, Damron, welcome back, man. Appreciate tuning in. Carlos23, uh, Gal Gal. I don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> Producer Reef, Reefaholic, folks, thanks for, uh, for tuning in. So, so Sanjay, I've known you for a number of years, but, um, you know, for, for everybody out there, and I'm not even sure I, I know the real story. How, how did you get involved in, in reef keeping? What was the, uh, what's the story behind that in terms of how you got yourself involved in this uh, awesome hobby of ours? Uh, I've been, yeah, I've been doing it since the early 90s. Um, I always kept aquariums growing up as a kid. Uh, back in India, they were always fresh water, but I was always fascinated by saltwater fish. And uh, then I came to the U.S. I was doing my grad school, and I kept moving from, you know, there's not a house to set up an aquarium. So I waited until I got a house. And one of the first things I did was I set up a freshwater tank. And then as I looked at it, and I would go to the store, and this woman at the store had a 29-gallon reef aquarium. And I was like, what is that? You know, I was like thinking we're getting saltwater fish only until I saw that. And she said, oh, these are corals. I'm like, really? Can you keep corals alive? And I was like, in a small tank like this? I said, this is what I want to do. <laughs> right? So I started learning about it at that point. I started reading whatever I could. Uh, that was like in 1991, somewhere around there, 91, 92. And uh, I would just go to the store, I'd pick her brain, learn from her, whatever I could. And I set up my first 29-gallon reef tank. 
So the freshwater tank was dumped and converted into a reef. And within a year, I knew more than her about reef keeping. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of fun. And then you slowly progress from there. The 29 was all soft corals. Then that grew into, you know, 55. I started throwing some stone SPS corals in there. Back then, you could get some Acroporas, a few of them, always brown-looking, and uh, started doing that for a while. Didn't have too much success. Then I said, you know, I think they need a dedicated tank for themselves. And then I, in the meantime, I was moving to a bigger house, so the plan was to put up a big tank in the basement. And at that time, then I put up a 180-gallon tank. I had that for seven years and then decided that wasn't big enough because I kept filling it up and the corals were growing crazy. So decided then I had to bump it up one more time. And in the meantime, I was setting up the tank at Penn State. So that's that's what's happening. So the first 500-gallon tank we set up, I set it up at Penn State. And I saw that was doing great. I said, now I can do one at home because I know what to do and what not to do. And set up mine at home in 2006. So this tank, current tank, has been running for 14 years. Is that the... Um, That's the longest any wow. of my tanks has run. My last record wow. was seven years. Now, is this the... Um, but the Penn, Penn State tank has been running wow. for 20 years. And that's years. an amazing tank, too. Um, is this the... Did, did you get this aquarium, the 500-gallon at aquarium... Obsessed? Is that uh, the placing? Yeah, yes, I got. I I, yeah. I um, I bought my 225 gallon aquarium in Connecticut that's been broken down for many years at Aquarium Obsessed. But there there's an interesting story behind that, right? Didn't didn't it leak or something? You had to have those guys come and patch it up or right. whatnot. Well, it didn't leak. There was a ugly scratch oh, on okay. it on the right. front glass, and I didn't find that out until I filled oh. it up with water. <laughs> So I was all excited. I'd filled it up with water, and I brought my wife down to take a look at the tank. And the first thing she sees is, the, is this scratch, which I hadn't seen. She goes, there's a scratch here. I said, quit pulling my leg, because my old tank was badly scratched up, and I hated the scratches on that tank. So I was like, this is it. I can't spend you know, my life now with this tank, because this ugly scratch is going to just keep drawing my eye to it. So I had to talk to them, and they it was on the inside, so it wasn't really my fault because I was not getting into the tank and doing anything yeah. at that point. And uh, they had to come and fix it. But I already set up the tank. I mean, in the sense of I filled it up with water. <laughs> and they're like, you're going to have to drain the tank for us to fix it because we need Ooh. to move it. And I hard plumbed everything. And I said, I'm not going to cut out all my plumbing. But luckily, I planned it in such a way that I had enough unions and everything that I could undo all my plumbing. We moved the tank. They came on the way back from the 2006 Macna when they were, it was in Houston. And they were driving back. And then they came over and they removed the front pane and put a different front pane in. They actually took the front pane of the, so they took the, front pane of the, the uh, tank yeah. off. Wow. That... Um, Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And then I had to get it back in the perfect, the right position so that I could rehook all my plumbing. Yeah. Uh, without reading anything. And that actually worked out pretty good. I was able to do it. I was very surprised. 
that uh, is working. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's interesting. I think um, I, just, I we were just talking before the show. I just uh, just telling you, I set up a 225 gallon Peninsula tank, and and uh, I hard plumbed that in as well. My other tank, the 187 gallon, is hard plumbed in, and uh, it's tough. It's tough uh, work to hard plumb a tank in. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. It's um, it, but it's no, totally but worth it. It's totally. Yep, it yeah. looks clean. You know, you you don't have hoses coming off. You don't have issues. I had all these problems with my other tank, so I was I was like, I need to eliminate all those problems I had before. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? no, for sure. So, um, Sanjay, before we um, we go and take a look at the video of your tank and, and talk about you know all this the stuff that you do to um, you know run your reef tank and and your um, you know the the, the principles and what have you the uh, the things you do to keep it uh, maintain it successfully let's let's first talk talk about aquarium lighting um years ago you did a whole bunch of tests with metal halide lamps and um, reflectors that was really kind of like the go-to source for many hobbyists and i'm not even sure if that data is still out in the public domain data is still there i think uh, reefs.com has the data they were hosting it, but I think they're going through some reorg and they need to set it back up. But it's not that useful right. anymore because a lot of people don't use metal right. halides anymore. But back then, it was always very interesting because when I first started keeping reefs, we were using the Venture 5500 Kelvin bulbs. Uh, those were industrial bulbs designed for lighting warehouses. And those that was the go-to bulb. And then after a while, we found this Iwasaki 6500 Kelvin bulbs. And those were even whiter. They weren't as yellow as the, uh, the old Venture 5500 Kelvin bulbs. In the meantime, there were new bulbs coming in that were like they were calling them 10Ks and 20Ks. Um, they had a lot more blue in them. But people who were trying to grow corals were complaining. Some of them were complaining that there wasn't enough light. And there was lots of arguments going on on the bulletin boards at that time about lighting. And I remember getting into one of the conversations. And I said, look, I'm an engineer. We, we measure things. Right? You're telling me that there's no way of finding out what output these bulbs are producing. And somebody jumped in and said, yeah, there is a way. You, know, you can get a spectrometer a spectral radiometer, and you should be able to do that. So that's kind of how I got started in the whole thing. It turned out that there was a professor at Penn State who actually had one of these equipment. Mm. And I, I went to him and I said, can I just test a few bulbs here? I want to see what the difference is. And uh, I did that. And uh, I had the data, and I shared it with a few people. And I bumped into Terry Siegel who at that time was the editor of Advanced Aquarist. And he came and he said, if you write a lighting article and you have this data, we'll publish it. You know? And not only that, we'll give you a little bit of money. I said, oh, great. I can get some, <laughs> yeah, go, go buy some new corals from the money. And I can do these tests. I mean, you know, so I said, all right, I did some of these. And I thought I was done. Right? In the meantime, the more bulbs were coming out. And people then started asking me to test more bulbs. And I was like, I'm not going to be buying all these bulbs and testing them, you know. 
So it got to the point where people were actually telling the manufacturers to send me a bulb to <laughs> test. <laughs> so that's I kept kept it going for a while, testing all these bulbs, new ones, and then the questions were, how long do the metal halides last? We were changing them every six to yep. eight months. Right? And then the question was, are they still useful after that? So I said, oh, I can test that because I... You know, we can see how much decay we are getting right. with these things. So, you know, it turned out with a Iwasaki bulb, you could probably run that for two years and not see too much decay, right? So, bringing in that knowledge into the hobby, I think, helped us at that time. Helped me a lot, figuring out. Then it just kept careening from there. What about ballast? Yeah. What about reflectors? Just some... <laughs> so, I kept doing it. I kept doing it. Because it got to be more and more fun because like, people started inviting me to come and give talks on this stuff. So I got to travel the country. I got to travel the world, actually. I've given talks all over Europe, too. Even Australia, Taiwan. So that kind of became more fun for me. And I was like, okay, I get to hang out with some retrievers. When I go travel, I go see their tanks. And at that time, you know, if you looked at a coral twice, <laughs> if you wanted. <laughs> That's all it took. You know, we used to share corals with each other all the time. There was no crazy pricing of corals, and everybody was happy to. You know, share yeah, trading was a big, much bigger thing uh, way back when when I first started, and um, yeah, it's fun, you know. But um, of course, yeah. back. I think that's, that's when I met you in Boston. When I came to that club, no, I it might have been no. It, it, it was, I was in New York, so I think we met uh, probably at, at the Manhattan, one oh, of the Manhattan uh, frag swaps way back when is when we um, probably met. But I remember you gave me a reef. Bump yeah, there you hat. go. <laughs> I'll I'll send you another one. And I had that hat. I loved that hat for a while. I had it for a while, and then one time I went to some roller coaster or somewhere. And I lost. I'll the hat. Uh, I'll make sure you get another one, son. And I no wait. wait oh, let okay. me finish the story. <laughs> So I, I, I missed that hat because I liked it. So I sent you an email saying, hey, Keith, I'm sorry I lost, your, lost the hat. And you sent okay. me another one. I, so I wore that hat for a long time, and everybody would ask me about the street you, Do you still have it, or is it pretty much tattered? <laughs> oh, cool. I have it. Yeah. I still have yeah. it. No, yeah. No, awesome. I was actually going to wear it to the end city. <laughs> I, could, I could put on a, a reef bomb hat that's like pretty barely a hat at this point. So it's a more of a rag uh, on top of my head, but uh, um, so what? What? What I wanted to um, ask you in terms of where I was going with that question is: is you know, you mentioned that not a lot of people, you know, use metal halides these days, so the the data is not really um, you know being utilized that much at all. But um, in in terms of the transition away from halides, you know, obviously to uh, to LEDs, and a lot of folks you know use uh, T5s, but um, what do, you, what do you think in terms of today, as it stands right now, what um, light or combination of lights would you say is the best in terms of coloring up and growing SPS? Do you th still think it's metal halides or a combination of metal halides and T5s? Or do you think LEDs with the technology um, as it stands today is on, excuse the pun, on par with uh, metal halides? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on what you're doing and what your application is, right? I think if you still today have a big tank, metal halides may be more more effective. Okay, I mean for my tank, when I first set it up, 
I was running three 400-watt metal halides on it. Okay, this is a seven-foot-long tank, four feet front to back, and I could run that tank with three metal halides. All right? Um, but when I had my 55 and I put a metal halide on it, most of the light was just spilling right. out of the tank. Right? It wasn't even going into the tank. So I think what happens is if people keeping smaller tanks these days, metal halides are not that effective because a lot of the light just falls out with the LEDs. The light's more focused. It can go into the tank. Uh, your, your tanks don't get too hot. The problem with metal halides always has been that they produce too much infrared heating. Infrared. And that infrared heats up the water. Then you got to run a chiller. Right? Um, don't get me wrong, the, the uh, LEDs also get hot. They produce a lot of heat. But the heat is not in the form of infrared heating. So it doesn't directly heat up the water. So I think that is a big, big deal with the, with the LEDs. But for a big tank like mine, I'm actually running more LED power right now than I was oh, really? metal halide. Yeah. I'm running eight radions. Wow. Right? So if I add up all of that, yeah, it actually, the power consumption is actually higher than what it was before. Yeah, I, hmm. And I still think, I still think I could use more. Oh, yeah? Could you get them in there? <laughs> yeah, I could get them in there. The, the other, the, the, the good side has been that when I use, was using the LEDs, I started using them about seven years ago. And you don't have to change bulbs for seven years. That I, I, mean, I used these version that I had. I got the G2s first, and I used them for three years. Didn't change a single bulb. Could turn my chiller right. off. Didn't need the chiller. So the savings that I got really came from the peripheral stuff, not right. directly from light. I still tell people, if you for a, for a big tank, watt for watt, you know, you'll be using the same amount of watts that you would be using with a metal halide to be right. happy with it. So, growth is a little bit slower with the LEDs, I would say, but it's not that much slower. <clears throat> I'm happy with it. I can live with it. You know, I'm not in the business of growing corals to sell. Yeah. And if mine, you know, mine get too big anyway, and I have to chop them up. So maybe they'll last a little longer before I have to chop them. Yeah, up. we'll see that in the video. You you got some you got some pretty uh, sizable <laughs> colonies. Yeah, I um, so in the new tank that I set up, I'm going to be using LEDs for the first time. I'm going to be using um, six uh, GHL Mitras over that uh, tank, and it's a um, it's a six foot long tank by three foot wide. So I'm going to do two rows of um, two rows, two rows. of uh, three yeah. each row, and and uh, you know my other tank I've got um, uh, two. Uh, 20k uh, 400 watt radium bulbs you know on that tank and that's chock full of uh, coral and, and, and what have you but uh, yeah I'm excited I've never tried LEDs before so it'll be interesting so uh, Sanjay we got a couple of questions um, actually about uh, blue versus white light uh, Harry is asking about it and also uh, Scotty Damron says um, Dr. Sanjay, do SPS corals color up better under primary white light slash full spectrum, or is it necessary to run blue for a minimal amount of hours? I mean, as far as I know, they color up pretty well with with the white, whiter, whiter light. All right. 
I think visually the the small amount of blue to me looks good. So when I run my tank, for example, I'm running it pretty much at full power LEDs every single channel. Right? So I'm trying to get as white a light I can from these because they're not they, I mean there are limitations on how much white you can get if they're using blue LEDs yep. in there, right? Um, I like the full spectrum look of the tank. I mean, I have to look at my tank and I like the full spectrum look. A lot of people like the fluorescent look of the tank and then they like to run blue lights. So one of the questions always comes up is, are these corals developing the same fluorescent look under this white light that I grow them in versus somebody growing them only in blue light? Right. So I've done this experiment many times. I just turn off all the white light, just let the blue lights on, and you'll pretty much see exactly the same colors you would see if I was growing them only mm -hmm. in blue light. So it's not like they're not developing those right. colors. Right. You just don't see them much in the white light because the fluorescence is overpowered by the brightness right. of the light. But it's there, so you know. I tell people if you're growing them completely only under blue light, they're going to grow slower. They don't get the full spectrum light, and a lot of colors will may not develop. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about the? Uh... But you know, this is the hobby has gone that way. The hobby has gone the way of the blue. You know. I know. Uh, and every single scientific data that I have ever looked at, or even taken myself, it shows that corals absorb throughout the full spectrum right so they are absorbing in the green they're absorbing in the red they're absorbing in the yellow they're absorbing all of that old range okay so why not just give them everything because they can absorb it yeah, yeah when i was um you know knocking around the idea what which leds to uh to get for the new tank i was um i i, I consistently heard that you you got to um make sure that the leds that you get have enough blue light in them and that um and that's important in terms of um you know an led fixture is having make sure you get enough blue light to uh to grow the corals and color up the corals under leds so uh but i find that interesting in terms of what you're saying with full spectrum and and um yeah well We'll see. I mean, the, I, I've superimposed the spectrum of a radium lamp, right? The old 20K radiums, which everybody used to love. I still do. Right? I still I've do. Super, you know, I've superimposed them on the LED spectrums to see what the differences are. And the LEDs are way bluer than those blue lamps we used, metal halides we yeah, used to use. Yeah, I, um, I don't think there's any way that I could run the, uh, the LEDs so blue like that. I think it would just... Not uh, not seem natural to me, but I don't know. That's I would agree right. with you on that. I mean, it's 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 your tank. You yeah, can do what you want. Exactly. With it, you know. But if you come back and say my corals aren't growing well, or this is happening, you know, there's a good chance they're not getting enough light. They're not growing fast enough because there's not enough light for them to grow fast. You know. So every even the people who sell the corals, and this is where the blue light really starts came into play. People started selling them at frag swaps with blue lights. And, of course, you see all the fluorescence, right? So a lot of the hobbies think that they should be grown under blue light. Well, I can tell you a lot of the people who are growing corals, then they are also using a lot of white light in the daytime 
to grow these corals. It's only when they show them, they're showing them with a lot of blue light. Well, you know, they got they got to be eye catching, I guess. Um, Saint yeah. Nova is asking, uh, what does Doctor Sanjay think of the predominantly blue A plus schedule run by Coral Labs? I don't know much about it. I run all my lights at 100% full power, right? So if I'm going to then start using their blue plus schedules, that means I have to dim all the other mm. channels, right? So it's effectively, I'm actually using less light. There you go. Interesting. Right, and, and I'm going to see slower growth. What um, do you... Um Consistently, uh, I mean, have you been measuring PAR recently? I mean, when you make switches with lights, do you um, take PAR measurements? Do you have a certain uh, level of PAR that you like to grow SPS at? I mean, I've found that they'll grow any grow anywhere from, you know, 200 plus PAR all the way up to 800, even 1,000. You know, so I generally don't measure anymore. I kind of right. know now based on the lights that I've tested and everything, that this light will be right. enough to, to grow these. And the adjustments that I make is basically placement of the coral within the tank. If I think it needs more light or would do better under more light, I'm going to put it up higher in the tank. And if it needs lower light, then I put it right. lower in the tank or in the sides of the tank where there's less light. Do you, uh, do you still get um, manufacturers sending you, you know, fixtures to test? Does that... Um I, I kind of slowed down a lot of the testing anymore. Once the lights got to a point, with the LEDs, I did a lot of testing early on because there was so much variability. And, you know, there was so much uh, of poor light fixtures out there. So it was nice to actually start comparing those. But today, if you look at the, the top-end fixtures, I think they all give out enough light to grow corals. So... It's not really that important to keep testing them, right? Unless they change the spectrum right. mix and things like that. But none of them are not right. even what, doing So what that. do you have on your uh, tank right now? The uh, Radeon Gen G4s, G4s okay. right now. But I've got two G5s okay. running in there too. Well, Sanjay, uh, let's, uh, let's take a look at your... Um, your tank and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna start rolling the video and it's probably gonna take about 20 seconds to uh, to pop up onto uh, to YouTube because we're on a uh, we're on a delay but once you um, once you see it there if you're watching on YouTube maybe you can kind of take us through what we're uh, we're looking at it's about a 10 minute video I think it's there now you I don't, don't see, see it, it there you go oh there it is yeah yeah, yeah I yeah, can yeah. see it now right so that's a video of from a top view of my tank. I just use my camera to take shots from the top. That way you get a better sense of the size of some of these corals. Right? Um, from the front, they kind of look much smaller. But when you look at from the top, you can see that green one on the left, that's at least 15 yeah, inches wow. in, di in diameter. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, do you know which one that is? I got it from Denver a few years ago, a small frag. I used to have a coral that I used to call a leopard. I have that here. coral. I got a, I got because a, I'm growing that out right do? now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah. lost mine a few years ago 
And I was in a store in Denver, and I was talking to the guy, and he said, you know, I've, I've got a coral that came in in the wild that kind of looks like your leprechaun mm. beard. And I said, well, you know, he said, he said you, I'll give you a frag, and you grow it out and see and let me know. So I've been growing that out for the last three years. So that's about three wow. years' worth of growth. And uh, it's still I not know. the same. It's – so I just joke, and I call it that poor man's <laughs> leprechaun beard. I'm still trying to get my original one. Well, back. once I uh, <laughs> once it's fraggable, I'll uh, make sure I get you get you a piece there. I know a yeah, few I'm people sure. who have it, and they've all yeah. told me the same thing. But I haven't really gotten around to it because yeah. now with all the restrictions, that's yeah, not yeah, happened. Yeah. But I, yeah. But the good thing is, like, I give away a lot of my corals to people. Yeah, your bank. So yeah. one of my friends has it. Okay, and he's only two hours from me. And, so, you know, I'm going to get one. That's an easy drive for me to go pick up a frag and come back. So that's what I might do. And now, then I'll actually get to see the difference between You're right. the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some of these other ones are just, you know, these are all, I don't remember names. Some of them of definitely course. look familiar to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I found that this, you can get the same coral with five yeah. different names. And I, I don't care about names. So if I like a coral, I want it in my tank, and mm -hmm. that's good enough yeah. for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so unless they are an old-time coral that's been around and it's got an established name, that, you know, then, yeah, then it still has that name. And I can remember That looks like a names. Sanjay Milka Stylo right there. Yeah, that's yeah. the Milka Stylo. Yeah. yeah. That's a beauty. I got that, too. Yep. I love that coral. I love, I love Stylos. Yeah. I, I'm. Yeah, that's that's my favorite one. Plus, you know, a lot of my corals have stories with them because I, I get them from friends, right? And there are all sorts of stories. I traveled here. I picked up this coral from here. You know, we were on this road trip, and get, that's where we got it from. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things like that. This Milka one actually was a friend of mine from Netherlands. And that's where we got it from, uh, and he passed no. away. So I kind of keep that coral in my tank just in yeah, remembrance yeah. of him. Now, wow, you know? that's a beauty. How many fish? Yeah, it's huge. That's one of the big, All right. biggest it's, It grows too. a pretty good clip for me. Yeah, I keep chopping yeah, yeah. it up. Yeah. Now, how many yeah. fish do you have in the tank right now? Do you have any idea? Uh, close yeah. to 60 yeah. fish, I think. Yeah. 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 Now, it. Um, what, do you, what do you think in terms of um, – you know the theory about fish poop being good for uh, for SBS. Do you uh, subscribe to that? You I buy that. Yeah, I buy into that. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of times our tanks don't. I've seen a lot of tanks that the colors of the corals are much more paler. You know, they're not as vibrant, and oftentimes it's due to lack of nutrients. Because I think the whole hobby went through this phase of really yeah. low nutrients, right? And I kept telling people, like, hey, you got to put your nutrients. This is too low. This is too low. Your colors, corals yeah. look pale. But, you know, if people like that look, then yeah. okay, that, that's fine. But I don't like that look. I like that richness yeah, of too. the colors. And that only comes with certain elevated levels of nitrates and phosphates that you know, we're not running them. At really low what are you? Uh, what are your current levels right now in terms of nitrates and phosphates? Do you know? 
The nitrates right now, I just tested them a few few days ago. They're like about at five. Okay, you. I thought you used to run them. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, you used to run low. a lot higher. Yeah, which is low for me. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't control it, right? It's. I found that they just huh. drifted down, and there have been times when it's it's been as high as right. forty and fifty. So, but then so I never really actively manage my nitrates so ever. Phosphates, I do actively manage because those I have found that really high phosphate levels start to interfere with growth. I've run the phosphates as close to wow. two. And at two, uh, basically growth just kind of stopped in my so, tank, you know. Wow. So I'm, now the phosphates are running at 0.12. 0.12, yeah. What do you, and what are you using for yeah. uh, nutrient control at this point? Are you using anything? I mean, are, are the corals like pretty much acting as the, uh, the absorbers of the nitrate and the phosphate? The corals absorb a lot of the nitrates and nitrates and phosphates, but the, for the phosphates, I do have to oh, run GFO. Yeah. Now yeah. is because I can't get them down any other way. Do you um, do you think it's the one negative with with GFO I've heard about is that um, you could pull out valuable trace elements. You know, not not only binding phosphates, but also binding other elements. Do you um, do you think there's any uh, truth to that, or you just do not see any impact in your tank run GFO? I mean, sure, they. I mean, GFO removes arsenic. It removes some of those you know heavy metals that we don't want in our tank too. So if it removes some things that we need, you can always add stuff back if you right. know what it is, right? That they're removing. Oftentimes we don't know what they're removing. Right. Uh, I have so many fish, and you can see my fish are not no. starving. They're all fat, right? So I feed them a lot. So whatever trace elements, they have to be getting it from all the foods that I put. What are you, uh, what are you feeding the tank besides fish food? I've never done. I sometimes will feed the corals. I have this Benepets product. I have Reefroids. And I have other small particulate foods that once in a while, you know, I'll dump it into the tank um, in case the corals want to eat it. Right. Yeah. But usually I don't feed directly the corals anything. Uh, you'll see that from the video of my tank, I have enough particulate matter being yeah. blown around. I don't use, I don't run filter oh, really? socks. I don't, I don't try to trap that stuff out of there. I'm like, ah, that's that could be food. So no corals, mechanical you know? filtration, except for a skimmer. And yeah. um, do you use activated carbon? Occasionally. Occasionally. Yeah, I don't run it all the time anymore. Um, I just run it whenever I think I. Whenever I do a water change, I'll put some water in a white bucket. Yeah. And look at it. Right. And that gives me a good sense of how much yellowing is in the water. And then if the yellowing looks a little more too much, then I throw in carbon right. to try and reduce that. But I think that's a really good check. Just take one bucket of new water, one bucket mm. of old water, fill them up to equal heights and look at them from the top. And if you can't tell the difference, then, you know. Then you need some uh Carbon, there's yeah. So now we're actually taking a look at the lights yeah. over the tank, and there's the uh, the equipment room. Right, there's the eight radios. Yep, and you got your. Uh... So you're you're also a do-it-yourselfer too, right, Sanjay? Do you have? Do you, yeah, do you for have, the most um, part. You you had a you had an old skimmer there for a while. Do you still have that uh, skimmer that you uh, 
No, now you see I got a little yeah. small skimmer. Uh, that's the new oh. Deltec one that I just put in. But right in its place, I had this old ETS skimmer that was modified with the Beckett I had one of those. I had one of valve. those. It was like... Yeah, and I ran that. That, that was the first skimmer I built for my 180-gallon uh-huh. tank. And I used it till until like a few that's months your, ago. Uh, so I used it for over 20 years. Wow. This is your, uh, <laughs> your softy tank right yeah. here. Yep, so I had one tank that I was keeping softies in. Well, that tank sprung a leak, so I had to quickly set up another one temporarily. And this is my temporary <laughs> softy tank now. It's been the temporary for two years now. I love, uh, <laughs> I love leather corals. I used to keep a leather or two in my SPS tanks, but I haven't done that in a long time. But um, they're so cool. I used to have clown, clownfish yeah, used to host in it. Cool. And you've, you've got, uh, how yeah. many clownfish do you have in the overflow of your 500-gallon tank at this point? You've got this giant coast-to-coast uh, overflow. One, two, three, four pairs. Wow. I have four pairs in there right now. It's got room for up to six pairs. Right now, I only have four. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, concept, right? You've basically got an overflow from one end to the other in the back of the tank, right? That ex- extends the whole length right. of the tank. And you've kept clownfish in there for yep. a long time. Yep. Actually, when I, I hate overflows inside yeah. the tank. So I didn't want it inside my tank, and I wanted it outside. And when I was trying to think about the design, I go, why do I make it so small? If it's on the outside, I can make it bigger, right? And I was my plan was when I introduced new fish into the tank, I would put them in the overflow box. They're in my water, but the other fish can't attack them. So I would keep the fish there originally and feed the fish and get them used to my food. Once they got comfortable, and I would then toss them into the big tank. But then over time, I started breeding clownfish, and I was looking for a place to put my clownfish. So I just partitioned that overflow box, and I made it into a clownfish holding. It's pretty. Tank. Uh, it's pretty cool. So you're uh, you're the the ones that you you uh, bred a long time ago, the uh, the the photon, right? The Sanjay photon. Right. Yeah, and there, I've seen a whole bunch of different variations of those over the years, right? Have they uh, kind of evolved? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first did them, there was one single, I mean, it was one percula with the, with the black oscillaris. And for a while, I raised those, and then the male died. So I had to replace the male, and I said, you know what, I'm going to try and replace them with different versions of black males, right? So there were snowflake black oscillaris. I used that. And I was still able to cross it with the percula and get the same kind of breed going. Then they had the naked one, so I did that. So I just kept changing the male every That's year. That's pretty cool. Every two years, you know. And I got all these different different uh, variations of it. It's it is amazing how many variations of clownfish are uh, are out there. Do you have a uh, a favorite one at this point? Or uh, I mean, to me, it's just like every uh, couple of months you got a new variation of a clownfish that's that's come out it's like now there's like i i love i love these black yeah. storm ones the storm yeah. clownfish they're kind of cool yeah looking. i actually just i they're just picked, picked up a pair of um i think one of them is a uh, a mocha storm and one is a uh, an orange storm i believe so um 
Yeah, I'm really uh, pretty psyched to. Uh, I've never had any uh, storm clownfish before, but yeah, those are really neat. Um, yeah, I raised I raised a pair of one batch of eggs from the storm clownfish that I have, and interestingly, there's like ten fish in there that were absolutely normal. Oh, really? Fish. Hmm. Yeah, they're huh. perfect. All the bars were perfect, and everything. What are the odds of that? <laughs> <laughs> so Sanjay, let's get back to the uh, to the tank. I um I can't tell anymore. Is that a, is there a sand bed in there, or is that uh, bare bottom? Yeah, it's, it's always had a, a sand so bed. What do you what do you what do you think about sand yeah, beds these just, days? You know, if if you were starting a tank up again, would you um, you know, would you continue to use a sand bed? Do you uh, do you like sand beds versus bare bottom? Yeah. I like sand. Yeah. Beds. Yeah. And I I don't mess with my sand bed at all. So the sand bed in my tank, when I first put it in, I put in about two inches of sand. And once you turn the pumps on, the sand starts yeah. to blow around and settle wherever it wants to settle. So now there's parts of the tank that might actually have three inches of sand. And there are some parts where there's barely any sand where it blows away. So every time it blows away and leaves an open patch, I just use really coarse sand to fill it up. Uh, which is kind of neat because it gives you different grades of sand yeah. in the sand bed. Uh, and the fish fish seem to like it. They find big food from there. You know, they, If you keep uh, wrasses, they like to yeah. sleep in the sand. So some of those wrasses that I have will sleep in the sand. So they need sand to sleep in. Um, I like sand beds and I'm not one of those people who goes in and vacuums their sand and does all that i don't worry about any detritus in the sand i don't care about any of those <laughs> things so my sand bed in my tank right now is 14 wow do you, now besides wrasses do you have any other, other um critters in there that help keep the sand bed uh, stirred up and clean do you have any um sea cucumbers or snails sea cucumbers cucumbers will do it and then the snails i keep putting necessarious snails in there because they go yeah. into the sand but they eventually get eaten up by some wrasses in my tank. Yeah, D uh, Dimitri Tumanov is uh, tuning in. Hey, Dimitri, thanks for tuning in again. He says he remembers seeing this tank in person, never disappoints. And he's asking how, how the, um, the Lonardi wrasse, how, how that wrasse is doing. It's doing great. I don't know when you came, Dimitri. It might have been a female at that time. Now it's turned into a male. Oh, wow. You can see it in the video. You'll see him swim around. He's, he's one of my biggest fish. And uh, he turned into a fish. I got it as a juvenile. It was all black. And then it gets the blue stripes as it grew into a female. And then those blue stripes, uh, blue and yellow coloration, these yellow stripes. And then it all disappears and it turns into a different looking fish. It turns into a male. It's, it's so... That's the one thing I do with all my fish. I always like to buy them as juveniles yeah. if i can i don't want a super male wrasse right i want give me a juvenile female wrasse and i'll watch it go through all the progressions it's really cool i you know that happened to me for the first time ever i had a um a female african leopard wrasse in my tank and uh you know i had it for for several years and i also have a chiote wrasse le leopard wrasse which i love and a um 
black spotted leopard wrasse. And I hadn't put any new fish in my tank probably in a couple of years. And, and one day I walked up to the tank and I look in, I was like, what, what is that? It, I didn't put that in there. (laughs) Like overnight it changed completely. And I was like, I had, I had to do a double take. I was like, who put this fish in my tank? (laughs) It is so. So That's the fun part of keeping fish, you know? Yeah. That's why I always, like I said, if you get them as juveniles, they'll pair up too. So that was the one big shift in my thinking about fish was when I set up the huge tank. Because I said, I'm getting away from this. Oh, you can only keep one fish of each type in your tank, you know. But so I said, with a big tank, I should be able to keep groups or multiples of the same fish. So I did that. I started putting pairs of things, at least twos of things. And then they would pair up. And I had way back, like maybe it was like 10 or 12 years ago, I used to have angelfish spawning in my right. tank all the time. Yeah. 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 Now, um, and you you take chances with angelfish too, right? I mean, there, there's I know angelfish that you have in your tank that uh, folks basically, you know, vendors will say those are uh, not reef safe, but you've um, you've had success with those types of angels, right? Well, I mean, it's all relative. Yeah. What's reef safe, right? When I when I used to keep regal angels, right, <clears throat> I couldn't keep any zoanthids right. in there. Because the, so you you make a choice, right? Do I want the zoanthids or do I want the regal? Yeah, right. It's the same thing with some of the other angels. They all nip. I mean, this not this, this is their habit. This is how they live, right. right? They go from rock to rock to rock, nipping, and they'll nip at the corals. But when you have a colony that's 15 inches in size, you don't even see the nip. It doesn't even affect the coral at all, right? So, and you have so many corals in a tank. They don't just keep nipping the same coral over and over again, right? So they don't do any visible harm in a big tank like that. Now, would I put 15, 10 of those angelfish in a 55-gallon? Probably not because they might cause more Yeah, yeah. And so you don't – you don't. In a big tank. You, you don't see any um, uh, impact on polyp extension on, on your SPS? I don't oh, care no. about polyp extension. No, I never well, did. I, I don't care about polyp extension in the day. At, because every single coral that I have that shows no polyps in the day, at night, it's fully expanded with polyps. Well, in, in the videos that I've seen, in the video you showed us, we, uh, I, I think I definitely saw a lot of polyp extension. So, On that, on that big coral, yeah. you do see it, right? But you don't see it on some of the other ones. So some corals will still polyp out nicely and some only polyp out in the night so we so. have uh we have a couple more questions and folks yeah i encourage you to uh ask away we have um i'm, I'm gonna mispronounce this uh niels van de Voort. what are your thoughts on the importance of utilitarian fish and which ones do you like i like tangs tangs are good they'll keep the algae yeah. mound down uh, if you don't keep tangs, you'll always find patches of algae growing. So you'll look at my tank. I have different types of tangs in there now. I have a yellow tang. I have a purple tang. I have the uh, the blonde, the nasal tang, because they eat different kinds right. of algaes. All right. So I like those as a utilitarian fish. Uh, I like to keep urchins in there. They'll graze the rock too. Uh, 
there's downsides to urchins because some of those urchins will pick up yep. stuff and put it on their back and move it around for you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Um, we're th- I don't like sand sifting fish only because if they keep sifting sand all day, then they, the tank becomes a little bit cloudy. It doesn't stay as clear. So I've kind of gotten rid of this. I don't keep too many sand sifting right. fish. But, yeah, the leopard wrasses don't uh, really disturb the sand until they go to bed at night. Yeah, yeah. Right. My Lenardi oh, yeah. Lenardi's always picking. He picks up sand and swims and then releases the sand as it's swimming and it ends up in my coral. <laughs> okay. So there are times when my colonies get big and I'm out of town for two weeks. I'll come back and there's so much sand is trapped in the coral that sometimes there'll be dead patches because the fish is, when it's very hungry, it's always blowing sand yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I'm here, it's not as bad because I'm always feeding the fish. Right? So, um, Sanjay, you, you gave a great um, talk online at MACNA um, this past, uh, it was uh, August or September, I can't remember um, when uh, when you gave that talk, but it was a couple of months ago, and that was basically a talk about pests in in the hobby, right? In terms of um, kind of like right. always having to deal with something, and um, you've dealt with pretty much everything that's been out there. What um, most, most things? Most so things. you're currently living with aquareeding flatworms, right? Is that a tank, or did you get rid of them? I didn't. I don't think I got rid of them. Because I used to see them all the while. I don't see too many right now. So I think, I think that numbers change. So sometimes there'll be a lot of them, and then they kind of fade away. And I found if things are growing well, and the tank's like in fifth yeah. gear, you know, coasting along, then I don't get too many problems with the, with the flatworms becoming explosive. Right. But when the tank's not doing well, their numbers right. grow. I think the corals get more stressed out. They're able to cause more damage. Yep. You know, they get more food, and then they go, oh, there's more food, so we should lay more eggs. Right. <laughs> we should propagate. This is a good environment for us. So, yeah, I mean, I, I tried getting rid of them a few times, but it was always a disaster. So I just kind of live right. with them. Uh, which, like I said, it, it, they don't seem to really be destroying anything right now. Yeah, I, I lived with them in my 225-gallon tank that I used to have back in Connecticut. And, in fact, the background picture on the live stream here is of, the, of that 225-gallon tank. And I've got acro-eating flatworms in that tank that um, I used to basically baste um, with a turkey baster once once a week. And actually, yep. my clownfish would, would follow the turkey baster around and and gobble up the uh, the flatworms and you know I had um, wrasses in that tank too that I think were uh, were eating them. Yeah, the wrasses can't find them on the corals. Oh yeah, notice that. But if you blow them off the rock, every fish will eat them. Even my tanks oh, really? eat them. Yeah. You know, yeah, every fish eats them. Once they're off the rock and they're floating in the water, yeah. they pick them off. But they don't find them easily on the corals. And when you have so much coral, I mean, there's no way you're going to get rid of them unless you actually effectively try to kill them. And in killing them, you end up killing your 
corals. Exactly. That's why I just decided to live with them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not getting rid of a huge colony just because to get rid of these few flatworms and destroy my tank. So we... we yeah. So I just all right. So we have uh, we got a few more questions popping up. I see Reef Builders is in the house. The doctor is in the house. Is that Jake Adams? I guess I don't know. Um, P guy is asking, does Sanjay use Acropower or any other aminos? Do you use aminos, uh, Sanjay? I use them when uh, occasionally. I, I always get people giving me samples of saying, okay, try my aminos. Try this. Try this. So I'll take it. I'll try it. You know, but I'm not. Yet, a firm believer that they will do stuff in my tank because I haven't seen the difference. But I have seen tanks where it's made a difference. Oh, really? Right? So they, yeah. And I think usually it's those tanks that are nutrient poor to begin with. I. So, you know, I don't see a big difference in my tank whenever I add these things. Yeah, whenever I um, tried aminos or coral foods, I've pretty much gotten algae outbreaks. And and so my use of those products usually doesn't last too long. <laughs> right. Mine doesn't last long because I only get small samples when I try them and they run out of them. I never, I never go out and get replacements for it. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's got its place, right? And in some tanks, if your corals aren't doing well, they look pale, they're not vibrant, you think you have enough light, then usually it's food that's causing the corals to not look good. And in some cases, those additives will help. Interesting. Yeah. No, listen, I think yeah. But yeah, some people do claim yeah. to have a lot of success with those uh, types of products. Um, we have got another question here. Um, Faduma, I believe... I think those people who have a lot of success should once in a while have somebody switch their thing of water <laughs> and let them keep dozing and thinking they're dozing aminos and see if they notice a difference. Anybody out there willing to take that on? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got another question. Water changes, no water changes. Yeah, you, you did mention water changes. What, what's your routine, Sanjay, in terms of water changes? It's about 50 gallons every two okay. weeks right now yeah <clears throat> it's sometimes more when i'm breeding clownfish there's a lot more water changes because i use my tank water as replacement water for the clownfish baby tanks and everything else but yeah usually i try to shoot for about 50 gallons every two weeks so that comes out to what percent 10 10 percent it's about 500 okay. gallon tank that's about ten percent every two weeks. So, uh, Sanjay, uh, one of the shows. Uh, it's a nice, convenient size because each bag of salt makes fifty gallons go. of water. So, <laughs> makes it nice and easy. Um, but right. uh, you know, last um, on my last show, I had Greg Hiller on, and um, you know, we were talking about uh, bryopsis, and and uh, you know, he mentioned that he. Uh, was using uh, sea urchins to really get rid of the bryopsis. What are your, um, you know, so obviously, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always an advocate of trying to get rid of problematic algae or, or a pest via natural means versus chemicals. But, um, you know, there are folks out there that do use chemicals like, you know, fluconazole and, and um, ChemiClean. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on products like that in terms of trying to um, 
course correct on a tank that has, uh, you know, gone bad. I, if you've exhausted some of the other options, these are good. The, these options work, right? So if, if I, I always have patches of cyano in my big reef, right? It doesn't bother me, right? There's always be small patches here and there. But there'll be times when it just takes off, right? And it'll spread and it'll be everywhere and, you know, and I I don't know what caused it because all the parameters were the same, everything was the same, but there are times when it feels like the, something is right in the air and it right. takes off. And I let it go for a while, hoping it'll go away on its own, which sometimes it does. There are times when it doesn't. And when it doesn't go away, I kind of help it along by I'll put ChemiClean in there, you know, um, and try to kill yeah. it. And that, you know, generally that resets it again. And, you know, next year I go through the same kind of battle again. Yeah. You know, but I try to avoid putting too many chemicals in unless I really yep. have to. Uh, but Bryopsis can be nasty again. You know, I've had battles with Bryopsis with the Penn State tank where it was growing oh, really? everywhere. And interestingly, we had two tanks feeding into the same sump. So these systems were both tied together. We would only get Bryopsis in one of the tanks, hmm. not in the other one. Interesting. Yeah. So something. I yeah. tried. Um... But in that tank, we could not. We could not get rid of it, no matter what we tried. It was just way too much. We were harvesting it by hand all the time. The urchins kind of urchins don't really like bryopsis, okay? And no, barely any fish would eat them. At that point, I kind of caved in and I said, you know what? Less fluconazole, yeah. whatever it's called, right? Um, use that, and it did work. It, it there was only one time I've used it. Got it got rid of it permanently. Well, nothing. Yeah, and I, I, I put, I, I tried it. Uh, I tried it about <laughs> a year ago, about a year ago, six months ago, to get rid of some bryopsis, and uh, it went away for a few months, but it did come back. Which... But not as bad. Yeah. that's the thing. It comes if it does come back, it's in smaller patches, and those kind of go away. Do you think um, there's any um, residual? bad side effects with those kind of uh, chemiclean and fluconazole that, that uh, maybe don't show up on an ICP test that could be detrimental to a reef tank? Might be, but I think they naturally break down. You know, the, whatever effect is, it's short term. So if I put chemiclean, it's not selectively going to kill cyano. It's going to kill other things too, Right. It's a it's a antibacterial, so it's going to kill other bacteria. It might be killing some good bacteria, right? So for a while, it's going to create an imbalance in your tank, bacterial imbalance. But it it corrects. I don't recommend people just keep doing this every time on your tank, right. and you end up with some resistant strain of things, and that could be. So nasty. Jake is saying Brightwell Razor eradicates hair algae and Valonia, and it's out. Outs outstanding. Um, reef and dive. Sanjay, there's a lot of talk about traces and about keeping tank water exactly like seawater. Do you believe we really need all those trace elements? I mean, we breathe a lot of nitrogen and do not 
that's how it ends. Do not need. What are your what are your, Do not absorb it. Don't yeah. use it. Yeah. Again, it, we don't know what these trace elements do. We don't know exactly what they do. We don't know what levels they need to be at, right? So we basically have to guess at what levels we should be keeping them at. A safe bet is they let's just keep them at salt water levels because that's what these corals are growing in. So from that perspective, I think it's a good strategy to say, okay, if I don't know what they're going to do, and instead of arbitrarily adding stuff, well, let me just add enough to bring the composition to a reasonable mix. Right? And I think the only tool we have right now is to maybe do an ICP right now to get some low levels. But there are problems with that tool too, right? I mean, it has limits of what it can detect. And some of those trace elements are usually lower than what right. they can detect. So they really can't tell you exactly. You know, and then whether those trace elements are actually impacting your corals, that's another question, right? Uh, so if it makes you comfortable, do it. Yeah, somebody's action. I you, don't you, do Okay, I do. Occasionally I'll do the ICP test, occasionally. And I've done the ICP test when I've had problems with my tank, and it has never found anything. So it's not the answer. To it's it's interesting because... Um, it's another tool in your right. arsenal, right? But it doesn't mean it's going to give you all the right. answers. And it's uh, it could be a little scary to have too much information. You know, I, I, um, I've been doing some ICP testing every now and then just to... Um, I guess when the tank is going well, it's good to do it just to have a baseline. And when things are going bad, then, um, you know, maybe you could do it to find out something. But... Um, I think having also too much data and being so reactive to that data can also be uh, detrimental. And, and um, I think it's it's good to have the information, but I don't always think it's good to act on the information. I think um, you really have to be cautious. Right, because we don't know what it really is doing to our tank, right? I mean, sure, maybe some some things use vanadium, but, you know, we don't know how much they're using, what they're doing. Right? See, I'm C squared somewhere uses vanadium. All right. Does that mean my reef tank needs to have vanadium? I don't see any C. Well, I do see C squirts in my tank, but usually you don't see those things. Right? So I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I really don't know. And I always tell people be cautious because you're going to start blaming. If you didn't know, for example, levels of molybdenum in your tank and if your tank was having any problems and this ICP test came back and said your molybdenum was high you would just blame molybdenum right. for it no matter yeah. what it is you say oh that's the problem right yeah but there may be a lot of instances where the high molybdenum did yeah. nothing so you don't really know the cause and in fact, that equation is not a direct equation, right? And that equation has also got a lot of time delay in it. In a reef tank, things don't happen overnight, except bad things. Yes. Right? If I add a, I've, I've seen people tell me, 
oh, I added this additive, and the next day my tank looked awesome. Yeah. It's like, really? How bad was it? I mean, I've kept reefs for so many years, right? For my tank to look 100% improved, I don't know, it would have to go through a lot of improvement overnight. I mean, usually, I've noticed it all the time. I mean, I play around with the corals every time. I'll take a coral for, that is sitting in one position in my tank, and if I move it to another position, it takes about two to three months before it adapts to that new position. Right? I'll have corals shading each other. I'll take the shaded part of the coral, which is almost looking bleached, and I'll move it into a brighter spot. And it takes about three months for it to fully yeah, color yeah. up. Right? So there's there's this whole lag. Right? And so people don't have that patience. Right. You know? Yeah, I um I was talking there's a lot of static. Is there uh, static coming from my mic? Is I think it, it's your can mic. Can you still hear it? No. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Spat still a lot of bad static. Let me try switching off mics here. <laughs> Bear with me. Is that better? No. Can you guys hear me? I don't know. Hang on one second. It's not me. I haven't changed anything. Something changed. Hang on. Something changed. Can you hear me now, Sanjay? Oh, yeah. Now it's loud and clear. Oh, yeah. Now it's loud and clear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm better. having a hard time hearing you. Let's see here. How's that? All right. Works pretty good so, now. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I was um, texting back and forth with a friend of mine, and um, he actually might be watching tonight about um, ICP testing. And he, um, he said he got back this um, ICP test that just showed a whole bunch of issues with his tank. And he's like, geez, I'm not sure what, what to do with all this stuff. It seems like I'm going to have to do, uh, you know, a lot of course correcting. I'm like, well, hold it. I thought your tank was on cruise control and things were going great. He's like, well, yeah, it is. I was like, I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, yeah, it's made people more reactive, yeah. you know. And sometimes that, too much reactiveness is not good because things take time to adjust yeah, yeah. and adapt. So, uh, Sanjay, I don't want to keep you too much longer here, but um, so I want to ask you one more question, and then we'll take maybe one more question from the uh, from the audience. But um, if you had to list the top three things that's most important for keeping an SPS a successful SPS tank, what would you say those top three things are? Top three things in keeping a successful yeah, tank? in particular. I would say, 
I think you need to maintain your alkalinity is the number one thing. Okay, well, assuming you have good lighting and lots of good water flow. Lighting and water flow are going to be very important, right? And then the third thing is your water quality. And in the water quality, generally, stability is, is important. And I've seen tanks can take swings in temperatures. So a fully loaded SPS tank does not like swings in alkalinity. That's where I've had the most issues with my tank is when alkalinity swings a lot. Um, so I think that keeping that at a fairly stable level is important. And it doesn't matter what level you keep it at. I mean, if you as long as you're, you know, not below six or seven. Uh, so if you keep it at eight, nine, ten, I've kept it at 11, 12, all Consistent. the way up to 15. That's yeah. getting a little too far. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't recommend going to 15, right? Because um, in tanks like mine, if I don't have a calcium reactor, the alkalinity will drop by about two dKH in one day. Yeah, that's a yeah. fairly rapid drop. Yeah. Um, so I think that is one important one. And then again, keeping all the parameters at reasonable levels. They don't have to be exact. Nothing has to be exact. Exact. Right, so I always tell people define a range, right? That's reasonable, and then operate within that range, and you'll be fine. Right? So I'll like, keep my alkalinity between eight and nine, and I'm happy with it now. You know, it's got room to go down a little bit. It's got room to go up a little bit. You know, same thing with temperature. You know, my temperature in my tank doesn't stay constant. I don't have on a chiller, right? So it'll run. There's a three to four degree temperature swing during the day. I mean, corals see that in the wild. I mean, it's there's no need to keep in exactly the same temperature right. all the time. Uh, same thing with a lot of the parameters. I mean, you can keep a reef healthy reef tank going with calcium levels right. of 370. You know, but if you drop your alkalinity down to six or something, then you'll definitely see slowing growth. Right. But also there's a balance of things, right? I've noticed, again, this is all through my experimentation. There's no very strong evidence to back any of that. But when, I, when my tank was running at high nitrates and high phosphates, bumping up the alkalinity seemed to help the yeah. tank, right? But when those phosphate and nitrate levels came down, keeping the alkalinity at 11 or 12 was not helping. Okay? So I think there is that balance of all those things, the nutrients, the alkalinity, the lighting, the flow, right? Um, so nothing beats exper experience, right? You learn a lot yeah. by doing it. Yeah. And then impatience. I mean, that's a hard, that's a tough one. I mean, I've always been very impatient, you know, but I've learned a lot of patience. Yeah, you got to be patient in the side. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Right. So uh, you yeah. didn't mention lighting. I, don't, I didn't did mention say, lighting. I said, said, I said okay. lighting is important. I, I said that. lighting. I said, okay. assuming you have good gotcha. lighting and good water flow, yeah. then 
The third thing yeah, is yeah, water yeah. chemistry, right? And everything we do is to maintain that water chemistry, right? That's all we're doing. And really, you could maintain the tank by just doing water changes. But we all think it's too much work, so we have to, you know, put skimmers, we have to put phosphate removers, you put other forms of exporting whatever is building up in your tank, right? Um, and that, trace elements, again, doing a water change brings in trace elements too, so. Yeah, and that, um, I'm, I'm going to end with this uh, last question from Daniel's Reef. It's, it's, he uh, had a question about water changes. And essentially, have you ever tried not doing water changes? And if so, what effect did it have on your corals? Have you ever tried that? Yeah, I mean, I've gone through long periods of time where I've not done water changes, you know. Um, but I just always find that doing a water change, it just kind of seems to perk up the corals a little bit. And especially in the softy tank, you can definitely see it, okay? They just seem to perk up, and same thing happens with the SPS sometimes. They just perk up a little bit. And maybe it's the trace, maybe it's, you know, whatever it is. Uh, they just seem yeah, to like I it. I agree. I've always been a water change person myself. And, you know, one bag of water, one bag of salt every two no, weeks is not, not too not bad. Not bad at all. Well, listen, Sanjay, thank you so much for, uh, for hanging out with us and, and, and chatting. It's, it's been a, a pleasure as usual. Any, uh, any final thoughts before we uh, sign off here? No, thanks for having me. It's fun. I mean, this is kind of nice to hang out and talk to other reef people instead of yeah, being holed up right? at home and well, <laughs> being yeah, isolated no. from all social interaction with yeah, other no, reefers. This is uh, definitely some nice, uh, nice way to, to kind of get out and uh, mingle virtually or uh, online, however you want to call it. But uh, yeah, you know, we'll uh, keep the fingers crossed that There'll be uh, trade shows and, and frag swaps and what have you, hopefully in 2021. And uh, yeah, but right. until then, I guess we'll uh, just keep doing what we're doing and, and pay a lot of attention to our tanks, which is a good thing. Yep. That's, that's been nice. I actually got yeah. my tanks yeah, to yeah, look yeah, good yeah. again. <laughs> All right, Sanjay. Well, listen, thanks, thanks again yeah. so much. And uh, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Love to have you back on live stream uh, next year if you uh, can, can come and peel yourself away again. That would be awesome. But everybody, listen, thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Going to probably be off for a couple of weeks and come back after Thanksgiving. But until then, be uh, safe, be well, and see you next time. All right. Thanks, everyone.